Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's November 1st, 2018. I am Charlie Sykes. We are, wow, we are getting close to the midterm election. So we are joined by Ethan Epstein and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Gentlemen, did you get any candy for Halloween? No, I, I spent my uh, my Halloween uh, cleaning out car seats of uh, baby vomit. So uh, not only were my wife's custom outfits for our twins ruined, uh, no candy and uh just screaming babies all night. It was the best Halloween ever. Um, well, your glamorous life. Yes. <laughs> Ethan, did you get any trick-or-treaters? Uh, just a few, but though I don't like candy very much, so I would have been just as pleased to you know, have child vomit myself. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're just going to leave that right yes. there. Uh, we're going to leave that right there. Okay, so uh, let's just dive right in. Um, the the state polls are all over the place. Somebody's going to be very, very wrong about Arizona. He had a CNN poll out yesterday uh, showing Kristen Cinema with a pretty, well, a fair, a fair lead. And then there's a local poll showing Martha McSally leading. So th- this, of course, is the, is the big question, which we need to lay on the table all the time, is that uh, – a lot of these state polls at this point in a midterm election are dicey, and so a lot of humility is is justifiable. But um, let's talk about uh, Donald Trump's new ad, a uh, trolling ad that he put out. Uh, it's apparently not airing anywhere. It's been compared to the Willie Horton ad. Uh, shows an illegal immigrant who had uh, killed two cops uh, bragging that he wished he'd kill more cops. Uh, and of course, the point is that Democrats want people like this in the the country. Um, sort of a debate online about whether or not the media should actually be airing it, since apparently nobody's paying for it. But is this, you know, what Ethan? What do you make of the comparison to Willie Horton? Well, I think it's fair insofar as. It's an ad that is actually focusing on a legitimate policy issue, but doing so in a way that is perhaps demagogic. I do think, uh, you know, CNN and the Washington Post aren't really doing themselves any favor by putting the word racist in the headline, um, which, of course, you know, has the effect of kind of galvanizing people on both sides of the issue. But just like the Willie Horton ad, you know, brought up this legitimate policy issue of these bizarre furloughs, which, of course, don't really happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And this one uh, focuses, I think, on a legitimate policy issue and legitimate policy differences between Republicans and Democrats on uh, on immigration and specifically illegal immigration. Uh, you know, it's worthy in that way, but approaches it from a way that is clearly designed to sort of rev up passions <laughs> as opposed to uh, yeah. well, spur it, 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 a, a it, fruitful it, conversation. And it is consistent with what's been going on over the last uh, several days. I actually thought that uh, this ad makes Willie Horton seem kind of quaint and, and rather and rather mild in in comparison. What's interesting is that uh, you, you look across the the country, particularly with the House races, and uh, it looks like uh, the the fate of the House of Representatives will be decided in suburban districts. And uh, the the one thing that is really consistent across all the polls is uh, the shift of college educated men and women away from the Republican Party. This doesn't strike me as intended to appeal to that electorate at all, does it? No, no, I agree with that. And insofar as, uh, you know, which voters it's going to galvanize, I wonder if it will be more useful uh, uh, to – as the other races you alluded to earlier, which are the Senate races. It's mm-hmm, kind of interesting right. the way there's sort of these two different constituencies that are going to determine each, mm-hmm. each each house. And of course, the Senate is all about getting kind of the Trumpian base out. So it might help them there. Yeah, I, no, I think it's I, base I motivation. Think that's right. 
Yeah, I think it's base motivation. I think Ethan's point is right. You know, maybe they have already kind of privately seated that their chances in the House are, right. are, you know, declining by the day, especially, you know, I think it was Tim Carney, our colleague at the Washington Examiner, who has a new book coming out, uh, was talking about how the the kind of epicenter of the rural uh, Midwest and the, the Mideast and the Rust Belt that helped propel Trump to victory now seems to be flipping on him and uh, these suburban districts that were helpful and instrumental in making Trump the president of the United States uh, also will probably more likely than not hand the house to the Democrats. It just seems like there's, um, I I don't know, the, the, I I obviously agree with that that analysis, but, you know, talking about sending 15,000 troops to the border, more troops than we have in, uh, in, in, in Iraq, uh, you know, putting up an ad like this, uh, talking about, uh, Eliminating birthright citizenship by executive order. I'm guessing that this has got a lot of people just shaking their heads, and and I'm I'm really fascinated by the reaction among conservatives, uh, who I think very correctly uh, were critical of Barack Obama for using his executive order to uh, legalize the status of, uh, of of DACA recipients. Whatever you think about the, the the policy implications for that, but you know, given how often we've heard the argument that it's all about the courts, that uh, yes, but Gorsuch, uh, but Kavanaugh, because we need to really preserve. Uh, uh, you know, const- the, the Constitution, to watch the number of conservatives who apparently are shrugging their shoulders when the president of the United States says that he will decide an issue of real constitutional moment by an executive order. I mean, it, it, this is this is really remarkable to me. And I know that Bill Kristol tweeted about that, you know, that sophisticated Trump supporters were saying, well, OK, you know, we we know all these other things, but uh, we're, we're going to stay with Trump because of the Constitution and originalism. And then, of course, when he comes out and he says, yes, but I'm going to use my pen to essentially amend the Constitution, they're OK with that, too. Well, I think it kind of lays bare the fact that kind of heavy partisans on both sides take a purely instrumentalist view on this question of, you know, whether it's constitutional, whether it's an abuse of executive power or whatever – most people are concerned specifically with those policy ends, as you mentioned, and mm-hmm. a very large percentage of them are clearly willing to kind of overlook uh, the means that it takes to achieve them. And it, you're right, it is more striking when you see it on the right because it's conservatives who usually wave the banner of, you know, protecting the constitutional order, et cetera. Yeah. Speaking of of people on the left, <laughs> I, I keep watching that Don Lemon quote over and over again, you know what I'm talking about, where in in, in one sentence he yeah. says, we have to stop <laughs> demonizing yeah. our opponents, and then in the same sentences and acknowledge that white men are really the great menace facing the, the country. And it's just, I, I think with Jonah Goldberger said, this sentence is like the snake that eats its own tail. Yes. Do people ever listen to yourself on the left? You know, he wasn't demonizing his opponents. He was stating what he thought. With I'm I'm joking here. He he was just stating a fact. Obviously, Charlie. You know, as three white (laughs) white demons here on the podcast. Uh, Yeah. um, I I actually sat down. I was going to make a list, uh, probably just for Twitter, of all the ways in which I thought the right had lost its mind in the last week. But uh, my the absolute favorite, and we talked about this on the podcast yesterday. Uh, Candace Owen uh, breaking with Candace Owens. It's Owens, right? Yes. Uh, break, breaking with with Kanye West. That that didn't last. Boy, who would have seen that coming? The Twitter war between her and Tommy Laren. I mean, okay, things have been tough, but but this is the fight we really deserve, right? I mean, it's going back and forth, and then watching Gateway pundit and Jim Hoff completely melt down um, over the. Uh, attempt to frame or or slime 
Robert Mueller. But the I, I guess you know one of the, one of the questions is is, is any is anyone Ethan surprised about this Candace Owens Kanye West fallout? Well, no, I mean they're both they're both um, flakes, Nuts. right? I mean, yeah, but flakes. I mean it's it's that they're they're both kind of they had this sort of zeal of a convert thing and then it you know fizzled out after about five minutes wasn't wasn't candace owens like a strident left winger seven minutes ago and and tommy laren was like a leftist college student who just got in on the grift and uh and and kanye too i mean if you had told me that you know the a large portion of the trump crowd uh, you know whether or not they were tea parties or not would just like fall in love with three democrats who just had like as ethan said the zeal of the convert and as catholic i can i can tell you and uh, are, unless you're a convert charlie i don't want to insult you i am a convert that's okay uh, converts tend to be the worst <laughs> like the zeal of the convert is, is is often worse. Like uh, going to Catholic schools my entire life, meet, meeting you know these you know, super zealous Catholics. It's like you know I I've been doing this for thirty five years. I, I get it. I get right. it. Um, but you know just that they that they love these three folks. So watching this Twitter brawl between you know like basically like two twenty five year olds who really have no place in our public discourse. Um, yeah, it, it also reminds me of like, for example, the rights embrace of a person like David Horowitz. Like David Horowitz oh has, has always been a lunatic. He was a lunatic when he was a communist, but then he became a right winger. But but he was our lunatic, so now he's fine. Like, but his sort of habits of mind didn't change. It was just the team he picked was different. I did. Ethan, that, that, I'm, I'm glad you picked that out because um, you know he's somebody that I've talked to and I've, I've read his stuff and I've written for him in in the past. But you're absolutely right that you just take the same habit of mind and you flip it over. And uh, I mean, some of the things that he has been writing about and tweeting are just like, are you kidding me? You yeah. really are sort of the inner Trotskyite. Oh and, yeah, that well, never changed. And, when, yeah. and when you are a Trotskyite, you just become the Trotskyite on the right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Hey, can I just say some in in, in defense of uh, of of converts? There's also, I mean, yes, I mean, they, <laughs> not not you, just you many just, of the converts no, no, I've no. met. Sorry. But I mean, in, in also in terms of of, of coming to uh, an idea with 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 fresh eyes and and bringing that fresh energy. And I think you know, quite frankly, you know, a lot of the people that we describe as uh, neoconservatives used to be liberals in the past who became conservatives, and and I think brought with them uh, maybe a little bit of a habit of open mindedness. And in terms of religion, you know, you think about people. People like uh, C.S. Lewis and yep. uh, and G.K. Chesterton, all converts. Well, uh, Cardinal Church. Newman, a uh, Cardinal Newman was a convert. The Catholic right? Church needs more converts, especially to push out the the corrupt and terrible leadership that it has that is killing the faith. But that that's that's another entire podcast. By the way, you know the, the phrase. Speaking of G.K. Chesterton, since I'm already wandering off, whatever it was we were planning on talking about, uh, the, the phrase that I ran across from G.K. Chesterton this week, and I have to give credit to Jerry Taylor from uh, the Niskanen Center on this. He talks about uh, you know the you know breaking out of orthodoxies and dogma, uh, and uh, the, the phrase from G.K. Chesterton was um, breaking free. Well, I, the, the the phrase is the clean and well lit prison of one idea. You know, the people who yeah. fixate on one idea. And it is really, you know, clean and well lit. It gives you a place in the world. It gives you a narrative. It gives you a narrative frame to see the world. But but at some point, it becomes the prison. And, it's a safe and you space, get locked Charlie. into it. I mean, yeah. you, I mean this, you and, and you see this around you all the time where people basically are just locked into whatever, you know, tribal politics. I have to believe this. I can't say this. Here's a reality on the ground that doesn't doesn't comport with my narrative, but I'm stuck in the clean and well-lit prison of one idea. Yeah, beautifully put. 
it is pretty pretty good, it, it, and it's a way of thinking. Uh, I'm going to go back to the polls. Because the way that this is playing out, um, I'm in here in Wisconsin, and I think everybody knows that. And there was a poll yesterday that was really fascinating and I think does reflect some of the things that are happening nationally. This is the Marquette University Law Poll, which is considered the most reliable local poll, even though they they missed uh, in 2016. But then who didn't? Uh, This poll shows uh, Scott Walker. Uh, in a dead even uh, race with uh, Democrat Tony Evers, who is perhaps uh, one of the least charismatic uh, candidates running. But it's 47-47. It is an absolute tie. And no matter what model you use for the turnout, it's an absolute tie. But at the same time, at the same time, uh, the Republican Senate nominee, Leah Vukmir, who I've known for many years, running against Tammy Baldwin, is behind by 11 points. And you dive into the numbers. Uh, she is losing college-educated white women. I think it's something like uh, 65-32. She's losing independence by 22 points. And one of the striking things, I think, about uh, Vukmir's campaign is that unlike Walker, she has really run as the Trump candidate in Wisconsin. She is as Trumpy as possible. Embracing his position on the wall, on the caravan. Last Friday, she had a conference call with former Sheriff David Clark, who's kind of, you know, in disgrace here, you know, with the people who died in the in the, in the jails. Also a Democrat. And also a Democrat, but 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 also, um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a state that is very, very purple, you can tell that the Trumpy message is really alienating those swing voters. Now, I think that Scott Walker has a chance to win this election, but his margins are also down in suburban southeastern Wisconsin, exactly the areas that Republicans have been hurting nationally. So it's not surprising to me that yesterday, uh, Paul Ryan campaigned with Vukmir and Walker, and at least according to one Twitter report that I saw, Trump's name was never mentioned that they'll talk about taxes, they'll talk about health care. But um, at least in the final days, they're steering away from uh, the hardcore red meat immigration Trump stuff. But it may be too late. You know, it's really interesting, too, because I th- for, for this situation to play out the way the polls suggest, which is to say, you know, a Baldwin landslide and then Walker possibly losing, yeah. you, you have to imagine the existence of a lot of people that are going to vote simultaneously for Tammy Baldwin and Scott Walker. And and I wonder if it's that's like a unicorn. Yeah. yeah, but I wonder if that's something about the governorship, because at the same, for example, uh, look at Massachusetts, where Elizabeth Warren is going to win in a landslide, and so is Charlie Baker, who's a Republican. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, I, I think that Democrat people are probably still more open to voting for people of the other party in a gubernatorial role. Um, it's less of a nationalized role, um, and I think that's what you're seeing playing out in a number of states. Yeah, Corey, you Stu- know, I, I, Corey okay, Stewart, Barbara, sorry, Corey Stewart, Barbara Comstock, same sort of weird dynamic, even though they're the same party. You know, you're you're going to have those unicorns in a lot of weird places. Well, you know, uh, Ethan, th- that's a really great point because um, maybe my, my one idea before this election was that uh, s- split tickets were a thing of the past. Uh, in, in 2010, Ron Johnson running for Senate got almost the exact same number of votes as Scott Walker. And it's really been pretty much lockstep since then. But you are right. The dynamics of a governor's race are completely different than the Senate race. It's, yeah, my- less, it, it's, less, it's less of a, a referendum on Trump. And you have local issues, yes. local issues like taxes and jobs and things like that. Uh, you know, property taxes in Wisconsin are always an issue. The economic growth, the success that we've had in Wisconsin, a lot of people give credit to Walker for that. 
Um, and I do think that that if, if in fact it does turn out that, you know, the close race for governor one way or another and a landslide for Tammy Baldwin, then you are going to see people thinking of the governor's race very different than the race for U.S. Senate. Yeah, and I, I mean one of my favorite examples from this year would be the state of Vermont where Bernie Sanders is going to win by like 50 points. But Vermont is also going to reelect its Republican governor in the same election. So, I mean, clearly there's a different attitude towards those offices. Uh, yes. Uh, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you again by Calm, which I think is just um, given the fact that we are just a few days away from – how many days are we away from the election now? Just just do the math for me. Nobody told me there would be arithmetic today. Nobody wants to play with me on this. Five days. Five, day, five yeah. days Aren't away. Five? You, you, yes, had to, yes. you had to like count, I had to, right? I had to get my like, abacus five, out, yes. Five days a- away. Well, this is why I think it's, uh, it's one of the reasons we're excited to partner with Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named Apple's 2017 app of the year, and I have mentioned before that I love the fact that I've downloaded this, and I and I do use it. And I don't say this because I'm just doing the ad for it. I really do use this. It's really – it's very sophisticated. It's very high quality. Just five minutes of Calm can change your whole day. If you head to calm.com slash standard, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, focus, and relationships, including this brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. Uh, then, you know, they have sleep stories. It's actually like bedtime stories for grown-ups, but I don't think that really captures it. They're just, they're just really well done, and you're going to recognize the names of a lot of the people who are reading the story. So for a limited time, Daily Standard listeners can get 25% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash standard. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. You can get started today at calm.com slash standard. That's calm.com slash standard. Uh, Okay. Now, gentlemen, we talked about this, I think, briefly yesterday. But again, we're five days out from the, the election and the president of the United States is once again attacking Paul Ryan on Twitter, uh, saying, you know, that Ryan when, and Ryan Ryan's uh, comment was really mild in context. I mean, this is important to mention. He said that he pushed back on on uh, Trump's suggestion that he could use an executive order to change birthright citizenship. He agrees with the policy shift. But um, he did say, no, we're, we're obviously not going to be able to do that by executive order. But even that mild criticism was enough to, again, reignite the Trump-Ryan tension. I don't know that it makes any difference, but is is this Donald Trump setting up somebody to blame if, in fact, uh, Republicans lose the House, Ethan? Probably. Um, I, was, I was struck by the latter point that Ryan made, which you also just – pointed out that I was surprised that he came out and said he was in favor of changing birthright citizenship. I was too. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I mean, is that something he's ever, you, you're our Milwaukee bureau chief. Did, did you know that was a position of his before? I was quite surprised. You know, this is one of those, those things that I, immigration was never a hot button issue here in Wisconsin. I was surprised when Walker, when he was running for president, mm. began sounding like Jeff Sessions and talking about uh, limiting legal immigration. So this is all part of this transition that we've seen in the era of Trump. But, you know, Paul Ryan has always been in favor of, uh, you know, comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, I, I, I think that the Trumps, Trumpians would have described him as somewhat squishy. So, yeah, I was surprised, too. It's very unkempian. I mean, as a, as a student of Jack Kemp, that um, seems to be sort of a departure from the Kemp school of thought. 
Yeah, but but I think it's also a reminder of why so many Republicans have been reluctant to even venture any sort of criticism or distancing with with Trump because, you know, they 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 live in fear, don't they, of one one of these one of these tweets being slapped down. And when you think about all the things that Ryan has compromised and all of the legislative victories that he has given Donald Trump and apparently just one comment on a radio station in Kentucky uh, about a position that I think is kind of a no-brainer among Republicans, he gets slapped by the president. Yeah, no, it is. (laughs) You've put it well, yeah. You know, uh, Paul Ryan is basically like the giving tree of, you know, (laughs) if you remember that book. Um, Only probably a little less principled, unfortunately, like in the end, you know, but... I, well, maybe, but you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I do, I do appreciate the compromise, the you know, the the real politic. You know, we can get things done, a lot of things done, but with this president, basically, if you're in, you have to be a hundred percent of the way in, all the way. Yep. That you can't. There, there's just, there's just no, there's just no wiggle room. I don't. So. I don't think so we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see that level of compromise from a House Minority Leader Steve King. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. talk about Steve King because this story continues to uh, to play out, and uh, the the Weekly Standard has an editorial um, really praising the actions of uh, is it what's his first name? Uh, Representative Stivers. Yeah, Steve Stivers uh, from Steve Steve, Steve Stivers, Ohio. Uh, you know, you know, Stivers versus King, and and this really is an important moment where you have the head of the National Republican Congressional Committee. Um, slapping down King. He said, Congressman Steve King's recent comments, actions, and retweets are completely inappropriate. We must stand up against white supremacy and hate in all forms. I strongly condemn this behavior. Here's my question. Is, has anybody else in Republican leadership said the same thing about Steve King? Not that I've heard. And, and I was, and I also saw a report suggesting that Ted Cruz had kind of come to Steve King's aid over the last oh, yeah, he, yeah. He, like yeah. He called in. Yeah, he expressed and, you know, his solidarity, which I found but, bizarre and distressing. But he also criticized yeah. him publicly. And I, I think this is probably a little too little too late. I don't mean to look a gift horse in the mouth, good for Steve Stivers, but like we're under 10 days out just because he in, endorsed Faith Goldie bizarrely is, is is hardly the worst. I mean, well, it's maybe among the worst, but hardly. Cleanest. No, I, I agree, though. This has hardly been. I mean, Steve King's racialist attitudes have hardly been, been this, a secret. Been, been this yeah. way for years. And I will say the NRSC um, basically uh, wrote Corey Stewart out of the, the play early on when he started having these dalliances, I mean, with uh, with white nationalists and, and other sorts of things. Um, so yeah, great for Steve Stivers, I, I think, but it is probably going to be too little too late. But there is some polling showing that King, I mean, King is, I think I've been there about Eight terms now um, uh, is is up for a race in his life, and you know there's issues with him paying his family members, uh, campaign staff money, and uh, apparently I, I read this this morning as I was coming in. Uh, he's taking out his first television ad. He hasn't taken. Yeah, out he's a had no t- campaign apparently. Yeah. Um, if, if if he goes down, it will be a signal moment. I do wonder, I was looking at some of the other publications who noted that, uh, you know, Steve King is, of course, I think probably the most egregious example, but he's not the only Republican congressman that has had sort of dalliances with folks on the alt-right. 
but I think he's been the obviously the least subtle. I mean, you know, Faith Goldie. I, I know you know many of our listeners may know who that is. Uh, she is a um, white nationalist candidate for mayor of Toronto. So first of all, why would he get involved in that at all? She is so far out there that she was actually fired from um, her quite right wing website job because she insisted on going on uh, the site of the Daily Stormer, which is neo-Nazi. I'm not even sure what the word neo means in that case. I mean, these guys are Nazis. And so it's not like she's a close call in any way. And what is going on in Steve King's head? And I guess this goes back to something I was thinking about uh, earlier, you know, with with, with the new Willie Horton, you know, Times 10 ad that came out. You know, there's there's a lot of bad stuff out there, and everybody's writing about it now. You know, gab.com is that still online, or this was with the 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 racist Twitter? They're 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 undergoing some uh, some some changes. They, uh, yeah, they they their up. domain registrars disowned them. They had to find a new one. Their their actual web host has disowned them. They're gonna have to find a, a new one. Um, I, I I check in uh, from time yeah. to time. Okay. I like to see I, I, what Michael I, Flynn Jr. has to say. Oh, is he? Does he really post there? Yeah, I I, I have really? a I have a log on just to like check in on some of these banned people from time to time. And in my afternoon links newsletter, which go to the Weekly Standards newsletter site mm-hmm. and sign up, I, I said it was like having a free pass to the zoo. And uh, you know, I I, <laughs> I got a lot of hate mail. Apparently, uh, uh, some people really really like that website, but it's terrible. Oh, it is. You know, it is terrible. And I was thinking about it. There, look, there's, there's. I mean, we've learned that there's, you know, a lot of folks out there. There's a lot more people who are going to spread this kind of of garbage than we would like to believe. But the, what makes it relevant? It would normally be completely irrelevant. But what makes it relevant? Bear with me if this is not clear. Is that the the distance between this really sick stuff? And mainstream politics has been narrowed. And that's where guys like Steve King come in, where you see stuff that is out there on the far reaches of the fever swamps that used to be the kind of stuff that, you know, you know, neo-Nazi, you know, racist, nationalist, anti-Semitic crap that you could pretty much ignore. But now it starts seeping into the mainstream, whether it is, you know, folks who, who used to be on the fringe on the right who now, you know, uh, command an audience uh, or politicians who apparently think that they can engage in this kind of this this kind of uh, rhetoric or or, or dalliances with these kinds of, of of dark ideas without any consequences? I mean, it used to be not that long ago, Ethan. I can certainly remember where. One of the reasons why nobody touched this stuff was because it was not because it was not not just because it was you know immoral and toxic, but also because it was it, any association was instant political death because you were completely ostracized, excommunicated, whatever. That is no longer happening, and so you start to see people like Dinesh D'Souza, you know, playing in this in, in in this sandbox, and then you start to see politicians who begin to traffic in this sort of thing, and you wonder this again. So this gap between the the conspiracy theories and what we're talking about on a daily basis, and frankly, you know, Trump has done a great deal to do that, and the people that he has empowered and given oxygen to as as well. The only way back. Is to somehow really re-stigmatize this stuff and say, you know, if you're a politician, I don't care if I need your vote. Um, if, if if you're a politician and you engage in this stuff, you're done. And so that's why I think this thing with Stivers and and King is important. 
Yeah, I mean, social stigma is one of the more powerful uh, tools in society, really. And um, it obviously does and, and can and should be used, um, certainly in, in cases like King's. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, and uh, we just need more of it. And and also, I mean, look, there's a long history of this going back to, you know, Buckley and the Birch Society, which I've cited way too often. But, you know, over the, the course of... Uh, the last several decades, you know, National Review has has fired certain authors when they refer, you know, certain writers when they go too far. There's a reason why Ann Coulter does not write uh, for the weekly, I mean, the Weekly Standard or for National Review. Uh, National Review also got rid of, you know, Joe Sobran, you know, when he was uh, dallying with all of that. Uh, the, prob- the, the problem is they have someplace to go now. Oh, right. Uh, you know, I think our 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 much mocked cover from the mid uh, mid to late nineties smashed the internet is right. Uh, because (laughs) once the internet took hold and there really is no sort of gatekeeping, I know, uh, some on the right are big, you know, Ted Cruz is tweeting these conspiratorial takes that like Twitter and social media are taking down like tweets from his supporters and stuff like that. Uh, There's no evidence of that, but, uh, you know, hosting companies and, and and whatnot are going after the Daily Stormers, the Gabs, and the other sorts of things. I, I don't think that that makes in the Infowars is it, it. It doesn't make the stuff go away because where the stuff still will live is in the the accounts of uh, many many people who have bought into this kind of world and believe in it. Uh, there were chain emails before social media, and there will always be the equivalent of chain emails. It, you'll never, you will right. never stop it. And I, to your point about stigmas, I I watched with some sort of, I guess, glee maybe uh, some of the uh, people that uh, Andrew Ager and I kind of pointed out as the ideological children of Alex Jones for just engaging in this wild conspiracy mongering, uh, and that they probably wouldn't pay a price. And some people are like. You're compa- we're being compared to Alex Jones. Like I hurt their feelings. Boo hoo! You know that, that's exactly what you're, you were doing. And, well, I mean, uh, that's that's what we have to do. Okay, so I've I've obviously been focused on uh, watching these midterms, and you know who knows where we're at uh, five five days out. Ethan, is there anything that you're watching or that you think that uh, people who listen to this podcast should keep their eye on over the next uh, several days? I do something, think something you're obsessed with. Uh, well. I won't bore anyone with my obsessions, but I will say the governor's races, which I've now alluded to a couple times, will be interesting, not just because I think it's kind of an underrated office in itself, and it's certainly more powerful than being a senator, but because redistricting is coming up, uh, and therefore the governor will have um, quite a bit of power to influence national politics, governor of many states. Well, you had a piece that really was it the I'm sorry, was it the governor of Oh, Rhode this, Island? Yeah, the governor yeah, yeah, of Rhode yeah. Island. This is a really unusual case because uh, as far as I can tell, um, she is is it Raimondo? That's right. Yes, uh, she is like well, random knowledge. Uh, she, she strikes me as an extremely conservative, uh, you know, center center right center left candidate. And, yeah, she uh, is. Yeah, she reformed the the state pensions. She's cut taxes every year. She's done all sorts of uh, things that you know conservative governors tend to do. Uh, so much so that she has two opponents, and the Republican opponent, um, a man named Alan Fung, is actually running to her left on many issues and is promising to restore the pension cuts that she made for government workers. The Republican Republican. is. Yep, that's the Republican. Wow. And who's the other candidate? He's uh, an independent, uh, entertaining guy, doesn't have much of a chance. He's probably going to pull 10, 15 percent. And he's Mm. he's kind of just throwing bombs at both of them. 
Okay, so that's just that, that is just weird. Yeah, speaking of third party candidates uh, in this market poll out of Wisconsin, one of the more striking results, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, is that uh, I think uh, Scott Walker is getting ninety seven percent of the Republican vote, which gives you, you know an idea of the partisan breakdown here. But what was interesting is that the pollsters found zero Republicans voting for the Libertarian, wow. zero. But they found three percent of the Democrats willing to saying that they're going to vote for the Libertarian. Which again is like Weird. what? Yeah. What is, what is that about? I just, I just, very strange. I have, no, it, I have no idea. It's Trump's party now. It is very much Trump's party, and we're going to see what happens. I think I think the uh, the, the Wisconsin results going to be fascinating. And uh, at, at this point, it is. Uh, I mean, let me. It is. It's it's a coin toss. The in in the results of the the forty seven forty seven for for Walker, the pollster stressed that that literally. The respondents, it was tied. It was just, it was just flat out tied. If you had to guess, Charlie, who would you say pulls it out? Well, I think my gut tells me that that Walker generally, you know, has a better organization, Mm -hmm. um, that he's got more money, um, and he's been there before. Right. So I would think Walker is, but if there is a break in the last week, which I think it's possible, I. Feel, I mean, this, I, I look, you know, check the tape here and see whether we're wrong. I just sense that there are a lot of voters on the uh, on, on the fence who might be breaking to the Democrats because of things that are going on right now. And it would not take much for that to happen right. uh, in, in, in Wisconsin. So, um, again, you know, when we see what do late deciders, uh, what will late deciders do? And as we all know, late deciders tend to break against the incumbent uh, in the, the incumbent party. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, so did that I hedged and fudged that. But <laughs> I mean, if I, You've covered both sides. Yeah. I no, I because I understand. I can understand either way. I mean, when it's this close, it it's uh, I, I'll I'll put a buck on on Walker being reelected, but it's not going to blow my mind. Yeah. You know, if it goes the other way, gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining me. I appreciate it very much, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>